0: So glad that you're joining us for our study today. Hundreds of people, many across the nation and different places, even around the world. Join us Sunday by Sunday. We're talking about vision. You probably picked up on that uh, by what's uh, behind me right here. How many have thought that vision might be something we'll talk about? Doesn't it kind of look like the Hollywood sign? Does it? I hope nobody vandalizes it the way they did the Hollywood sign. Do you guys see that in the paper? Um, the uh, Hollywood and so, I don't know, vision weed or something like that. Nobody do that. Even though I just said it out loud, nobody do that. All right. And so we're talking about vision. And the reason we like every once in a while to talk about vision is because vision leaks. You'll see that in organizations. You'll see it in schools. You'll see it in movements. You'll see it in businesses. Vision leaks. You you have this exciting vision and a movement. You say, we're going to do this thing for God. And it leaks over time. That's what makes it so remarkable that our church, after 147 years, is still pumping for Jesus. That's a crazy thing. You don't see that very often at all. And it's because vision leaks. And so every once in a while, you got to go back and stir the vision once again. I did a funeral or helped to do a funeral a week ago yesterday um, uh, for a a lady, I was going to say a young lady, a lady named Happy Moore. She was 98 years old when she died. And 98 years at our church. She was a part of this church for 98 years, almost a century. And uh, she loved to say, that she had been here through eight different pastors and 14 different worship pastors, and she loved every one of them. And she was one of those that carried the vision from generation to generation. Pastors came and went. Worship pastors came and went. But she's one of those people that just carried the DNA and the vision of our church from generation to generation. So we want to send us a few weeks as we launch into the new year, talking about vision, who we are and where we are going. Last Sunday, we did our purpose statement, and our purpose statement is based on the Great Commission, Uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the last words of Jesus before he went back to heaven, where he said, um, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so our purpose statement is based on the Great Commission. Our mission statement is based on the Great Commandment. And here's the Great Commandment found in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. Love others, love God. Love God, love others. And so our mission statement is based on that helping people find their purpose to connect with God, connect with others, and connect others with God. Now, what would it look like if all of us in our church were pursuing that together? I want to give you a little bit of a guideline because sometimes people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor Glenn, What does it look like to be like a full-on committed part of the mission and ministry of Purpose Church? What does that look like? And in the same way God gave us guidelines for our finances, you know, when it comes to giving, God could have not given us any guidelines. He could have just said, well, give, and then we would know, well, do we give nothing or do we give everything or is there something in between? And so God gave us this guideline called the tithe. And he says, look, uh, you can give above and beyond the tithe. Many people do. You know, Kimberly and I do, and, and we get to the tithe, and that's kind of a starting point, and then you move uh, beyond that. And so he gave us this guideline called the tithe or 10% for our giving. And so that's in the Bible, okay? That's biblical. This one I'm going to give you is just something that is kind of a guideline that, that I was. The pastors have kind of thought about, uh, but that's not from the Bible. Biblical tithe, that's in the Bible, but this is just a suggestion, Tithing our time like we tithe our money. Tithing our time like we tithe our money. Typical Southern Californian works about 40 or 50 hours a week. So a tithe of that is four to five hours a week. So what would it look like in our church if we took four to five hours a week and we invested it in these three areas of connecting with God, connecting with others, connecting others with God? And here's what we're going to suggest. Small, big, serve. An hour and a half a week in a small group getting connected with others. An hour and a half a week in a big group, a worship service like this, connecting with God uh, through singing worship and through the study of his word. And then an hour and a half per week, serving, connecting others with God. An hour and a half, hour and a half, hour and a half, between four and five hours, a tithe of our work week would help us. It's a guideline to helping us connect with God, connect with others, connect others with God. And what would our church look like if we did that? It would be a dynamic thing. If everybody tithed financially, we'd have all the resources to do what we need to do to reach our area for Christ and to help people in need. And if everybody tithed their time in that way, we would be a church that together is connecting with God, connecting with each other in deeper relationships and helping others to connect with God and serving others as as well. Now, the local church is the channel for doing this, okay? It's the vehicle by which we do this. Now, let me just share with you. Today, it's kind of hip, And that's why I just, I mean, I'm really preaching to the choir here today, okay? Because you guys, here you are on a rainy, opposite the NFC Championship day, here you are committed to the local church. But I just want to encourage you that you're doing the right thing and you're a blessing uh, to me to, to see you. Why? Because today it's very, very hip to say, I love Jesus. Jesus is the coolest. But man, I hate the local church. The church is so lame. The church is so nasty. The church is so mean. And so we say we love Jesus, but we kind of bag on and and disrespect the the local church. Now, that sounds kind of cool, and it sounds kind of laid back, but just think about that just for a moment. The church, the local church, is the bride of Christ. And how well does it work if we're hanging out with Jesus and we're always saying negative things about his bride, okay? How, How does that work out? Uh, I'll tell you, I got a lot of flaws as a pastor, but one thing I'm, I'm fairly decent at, I think, is receiving personal criticism. I, 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 I can see some good in it, and I, I tend to try to uh, to grow on it. Uh, th- that's something that I can usually handle. I came across something funny uh, that I'd used a while back uh, from Chuck Swindoll, and he's one of my hero pastors. He's one of the great pastors uh, in America today. And here's what he wrote. It's kind of a poem, I guess, and, and boy, it is so true. I have a pastor. Time was when he was a good pastor. I pronounced him great. This I did because I liked him. His sermons were wonderful as long as I liked him. His speech was passing fair as long as I liked him. He was a hard worker as long as I liked him. He was the man for the job as long as I liked him. In fact, I was strong for him as long as I liked him. But my pastor offended me one day. Whether he knew it or not, I do not know. Since that day, my pastor has ceased to be a good pastor. He's just an ordinary one. His sermons are not so wonderful since he offended me. His speech is of no account since he offended me. His faults are more prominent since he offended me. He's not a hard worker since he offended me. He's not the man for the job since he offended me. He doesn't feed me anymore since he offended me. And you know how that is in your life as well. If you offend somebody, it's hard for them to receive from you. So, you know, I know what a sinner I am. I know how I offend, um, you know, unintentionally or sometimes intentionally and, you know, out of my sin nature. And so, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that when I get some criticism, it kind of helps keep me in line. But here's where I get totally irrational. If anybody criticizes Kimberly, I go cray-cray. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I am just like... I am just like a jerk, and it embarrasses Kimberly. It looks like, who's this man I'm married to? Because usually I'm pretty mellow, and, you know, let me hear what you have to say. But they criticize Kimberly, and I'm like, you know, I'm just like total in warrior mode. Well, apply that to Jesus. And you're hanging out with Jesus. You say, Jesus, we're tight. We're friends. Jesus, you're the coolest. But that bride of yours, oh, what a jerk, and how mean, and how boring, and how like How do you grow in your relationship with Jesus while dissing his bride? Connecting with others, that, that part of this uh, triad within our mission statement, um, the core value addresses that we're better together. Connect others with God. Our core value, found people, find people, drills down on that. But I want to go with that first one, connecting with God. You know, there's a hunger in the heart of every person to connect with God. Um, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 that God has planted eternity in our hearts. That's why the stuff of this life doesn't satisfy you. Because you were made for something more than this. That's why you hunger for something more. That's why even if I had given Kimberly a Lexus with a big bow on it for Christmas, she'd be bored with it by now, which is why I didn't do it, because I knew she just wouldn't enjoy it uh, after time. And that's why the stuff of this life, you get, you get bored of it. You get, it gets old. It kind of wears out your excitement about it, okay? So that, that's because eternity has been stamped on the human heart. He has placed it there. I had the privilege on Monday to talk for a long period of time with a woman uh, about maybe 50 years old or so, she was younger than me, but roughly the same time period, that had grown up in the old Soviet Union in the Ukraine. And it was fascinating to talk to her because we were talking about children growing on opposite sides of the world. And uh, I don't know about you, how many of you that are like my age were afraid of Soviet Union nuclear missiles growing up? I mean, you know, you did the whole, those of you that are younger, we used to do the fallout jo- drills and, and stuff like, you know, roll on the ground and don't be in front of the windows as if that was going to help you a whole lot. But anyway, we had these little drills that the desk was going to protect us from that. And she talked about they did exactly the same thing in the Soviet Union. It was so interesting so she grew up in fear of American nuclear weapons destroying her the same way I grew up on the other side of the planet uh, being afraid that Soviet Union uh, missiles were gonna. But then it was just fascinating hearing from her perspective the coming down of the fall of communism and the Berlin Wall coming down and the differences it made. And and she was thrilled by all that and just so thankful for the the way things had worked out in, in her country and just, it was just fascinating. But here's the thing I found the most interesting she said that all through her education growing up, uh, the, the, the teachers and the educational system just tried to stamp out any vestige of belief in God in their lives. It was three, four hours, six hours, seven hours a day, Monday through Friday, just drilled into them. There is no God. There is no God. And she said even though she had grown up her whole life, there was something in her heart that told her there must be a God. And that's because God had stamped eternity on her heart. And she said this, when she would sneak out to go to one of the churches during this time, there would be all of her teachers who had been teaching her during the week. And even though they were forced to teach this in order to keep their lives and their job, uh, they were the ones sneaking out to church as well. Why? Because he's placed eternity on our hearts. And you can't stamp it out. That's why you know an interesting statistic I just uh, kind of came upon the other day. Do you know that only four and a half percent of the world's global population are atheists? Four and a half percent, and here's the interesting part: it's shrinking. And this is from secular sources. This is not a Christian source. I read this from a secular source that the percentage in the world is 4.5% of atheists and it's shrinking. You would think with, you know, globalization and secularization and and all that, you would think that that number might be growing. It certainly seems to be growing in our country. But globally, worldwide, that number is shrinking, um, the number that say they're atheists uh, in, in our world's population. Why is that? Because he has stamped on our heart, there must be a God. He has placed eternity in our hearts, and our greatest hunger is to connect with him. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Oh my goodness. So here's three ways. There are thousands of ways you can worship. but Let me just give you three. Number one, worship is focusing my attention on God. Now, in many religions, what you're supposed to do to connect with God is empty yourself. Just kind of float. Just say a chant or go home and connect your spirit with the spirit of the universe. But the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible teaches that worship is hard work. The essence of worship is taking the energy and the effort to focus my attention on God. And we know how hard this is. And don't feel bad about it. We all struggle with it. Uh, When we pray, we often go on autopilot. I try to pray the Lord's Prayer with the kids every day as I drive them to school. And I will confess to you, there are many mornings when the Lord's Prayer in my mind goes like this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I wonder if I'm going to get the kids to school on time. I wonder how that meeting at church is going to go. I wonder what's on TV tonight, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power uh, forever. I remember once, I think I've told you this story, once Kimberly was leaving me a list of things to do after work before I got home, and she's just kind of rambling, you know, just kind of saying as it comes to her mind, she's saying uh, things like, she never rambles, don't tell her I said that, okay, she was just kind of saying things that came to her mind, and she goes, now remember to pick up the milk at the store, and remember to pick up the dry cleaning, and certainly remember to pick up the kids, and she's just kind of listening to these things, and, she, and then she goes, in Jesus' name, Amen. And then she caught herself. She starts laughing. I just said in Jesus' name, amen. So so it becomes so routine to us uh, that we have a tendency to uh, say that. I I told you the story about um, a seminary student at my seminary in Boston, Gordon Conwell Seminary. And he was very nervous. It was his first day as an intern in a church uh, leading um, uh, prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And so he gets up there and he says, let's now pray the prayer our Lord taught us to pray, saying, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And so the Bible says, Jesus says, we're supposed to put energy and effort. It takes work to focus attention on God. Have you ever been distracted in church? You don't have to answer that. I'm sure it never happens during the sermon. It never happens. It happens during worship or announcements. I'm sure it never happens during uh, the sermon. But we tend to get distracted uh, from this. And so worship is focusing, taking the effort and energy to focus our attention on God. Here are a couple of verses, and I want to use the message paraphrase because I think it's kind of interesting the way they put it here. Romans 8 verse 7. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self, ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than about, um, than about God. Um, Kimberly's biggest complaint about me, or maybe one of her biggest complaints about me, is that sometimes I don't pay attention like I should when she's speaking. I'm probably the only husband that ever does that, but uh, it is a problem for us. I mean, when we first started dating, I was riveted on every word she said. Uh, but now, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes I drift, and she'll try to catch me, so she'll be talking to me, and then she'll say, the purple cow jumped over the orange moon, just to see if I'm listening. And I'll go, oh, you're trying to catch me, you're trying to catch me. Uh, no, it didn't, you know, the purple cow did not do that. And so, uh, you know, that's, uh, she, I show my love for her when I work and put energy into paying attention when she's speaking. Now, this is hard for a couple of reasons. First of all, we are self-centered by nature. I am self-centered by nature. Um, One of the poems I remember from school went like this. I love myself. I think I'm grand. I go to the movie and hold my hand. I slip my arm around my waist. If I get fresh, I slap my face. you You know the sad thing? That's the only poem from my education I remember. That's the only poem I remember from school. So, we are. I am by nature self-centered, and we live in a self-centered culture. Boy, that's true, isn't it? Again, let's use this paraphrase, uh, Romans 12, verse 2. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Now, how do we do this? A couple of ways. Uh, the first way is by setting aside a time each day that we... You can call it a lot of things, but the most common thing Christians call it is your quiet time. You set aside some time during your day to just focus in on God. And it doesn't have to be any particular time in the day. If it's in the morning, if you're a morning person, it can be in the morning. If you're an evening person, in the evening. If you're a middle-of-the-day person, do it during your lunch hour. But you set aside some time just to focus on God. And, And I think it's good to do three things. The first is to read your Bible. And uh, again, out at the display, it'll say vision in almost as big a letters as this on the east doors. As you leave, we've got some Bible reading programs. And if you've never had a practice daily of reading your Bible, 2017 would be a great time to do that. And you haven't missed it just because it's now, what is it, January 22nd. Uh, No, we've got Bible reading programs that just say, like, for example, this one I'm holding is a 100-day plan. And just start today to read the Bible on a daily basis. The second thing is to pray for yourself, your own needs, very important, but also to pray for other people. And I'd like to suggest another thing, because I don't know about you, I can become very self-centered in my prayers. I tend to pray, I will confess to you, mainly about my needs and the needs of the church and family, but that, you know, not many about non-believers that are not following Jesus that they'll come to Christ. I, I confess to you, I don't pray for that enough. And so what I would uh, encourage you to do is to take your oikos card with you. Now oikos, uh, purpose is our favorite English word here at our church. Oikos is our favorite Greek word. Uh, Oikos meaning household, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence. Your assignment from God is to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you. And so if you've never filled out an oikos card, again, these are available at the vision uh, display at the east doors as you walk out in this direction of, of the lobby. And I would encourage you to uh, to get a hold of that. Uh, those are the south doors, aren't they? Okay, I've been calling those east doors all day. I have no sense of direction at all. So near, is that right, Tomiko? The south doors, right? I'll just point. How's that? I can point. Right over there, whatever direction it might be. Okay, right over there. So get your Oikos card and just fill it out. And you know what I tend to do? I tend to have an 8 to 15 that are followers of Christ in my oikos, you know, my children, my grandchildren, my you know, Kimberly, my family. But then I like to discipline myself to have a non-believer oikos, those that are not yet following Christ. And I try to come up with 8 to 15 that are in my sphere of influence that are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. And if I don't have enough to fill that card, I tend to work at it to, to make some relationships so I can fill out the names in that card. And I take that, you should take that card with you to your quiet time to discipline yourself to pray for those that do not yet know Christ. Now I'm going to take a tangent and then a tangent on, uh, on top of a tangent. A uh, fascinating thing I read the other day in USA Today, I read it online from USA Today, um, the newspaper, and it's talking about our favorite word, Greek word, oikos, has been applied to what's going on in America today. And there's a new word they're using called oikophobia. Oikophobia. This is totally legit. It's the fear of one's own countrymen. It's where we're becoming afraid of each other. Now, um, and particularly different political persuasions, each side being afraid, oikophobia, afraid of those in your own household, your own country, your own countrymen. And the church ought to be at the forefront of defeating oikophobia. Would you agree with me on that? And there are many ways we could go about doing that, but here's just one suggestion that we can start with today is think about praying for your oikos lifts. Okay, I pulled mine out yesterday, and I found that to the best of my knowledge, I might be wrong, but to the best of my knowledge, about two-thirds of the people on my oikos list, the non-believer oikos list, are of a different political persuasion than me. Okay. And so, think about it, if we were all, if that's true of yours, I don't know if it is or not, it may be different ratios, but for me, it was about 10 out of the 15 uh, were of a different political persuasion than me that I was praying for in my list. So think about that, if we're all praying for people on our oikas list uh, in that way, if we're building relationships, if we're loving them, if we're seeking to build bridges with them, I think that could be a natural antidote to oikophobia. What do you think about uh, on that? Now, I'm going to take a tangent on top of a tangent, and now I'm going to meddle, okay? (laughs) And now maybe I'm going to give you, maybe that poem, since you offended me, your pastor, didn't apply, but it may apply now, okay? I want to just preface it by saying, I am not on Facebook. I'm not a Facebook person, I'm not on social media, and so I am not talking about you. So if I start to talk and you say, oh, you know, Glenn's Glenn's talking about me, there's no way because I'm not on social media, I'm not on Facebook. But I've heard rumors. Um, I've heard rumors that um, sometimes people on Facebook are quite strident on their political positions. I've just heard rumors about that, and and, and I've heard that that it can get kind of harsh out there, and that people can kind of rip each other online out there. And I've even heard that it's caused some disunity within our church. Um, it makes me think of um, Galatians 5, verse 15, where Paul warns us, and it's interesting, he's warning us about a very similar thing to this um, in, with regard to secondary issues, okay, not the primary thing, Christ, but secondary issues, and he said, be careful that you don't bite and devour each other, okay, be careful that you don't bite and devour each other, and I've just heard rumors that there are, is some biting and some devouring going on. But, but here's the thing I particularly want to address right here. And, and please don't get me wrong. I think there's a place for dialogue, and we should be dialogue, and we should be talking with each other. But let me ask you a question. If, just let's apply it to me. Okay, let's imagine that I was on Facebook. And say that two-thirds of the people on my oikos list are of a different political persuasion than me. If I am on Facebook ripping the other side, just ripping them, How much if my friend uh, that's on my oikos list that's of a different political persuasion sees me doing that Facebook, let me ask you a question. How open are they they gonna be to me sharing Jesus with them? You know? I mean, the whole time I'm sharing Jesus, but I'm also sharing this. It's kind of like over here, I wish I was a ventriloquist and I could pull this off myself. But I'm going, Jesus loves you. You know, he really loves you and I want you to receive me. You know, and you really should follow me. They, does that bother you at all? You know, because I just keep doing that for another minute. Um That's just not going to work, is it? And so there again, you do with it as the Lord leads you to do, but it's just a thought for us to be careful. Express our ideas, be open about it, dialogue, but let's just be careful, okay? And then to listen. So we take our Bible with us to our quiet time. We take our oikos list with us to the quiet time and our other prayer list. And, then we, and this is the one I'm the worst at, is just listening. Let's go back to Matthew 6, verse 6, again from the paraphrase. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Just be there simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you'll begin to sense His grace. And then the other part of this, you set aside a time to focus on God, and then you have a daily conversation with God throughout the day. And it can be like you're driving to a sales presentation, and before you get out, Lord, I just pray that this presentation, I'll do my best. And you do the sales presentation, and as you get back to the car, Lord, thank you so much for helping me with that, and I pray that the results will be according to your will. You just kind of have this conversation with God. And here's the benefit of having that daily conversation uh, found in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you, and then number two is worship is expressing my affection to God, and for some this is going to be easier uh, than others in in whether it's singing worship or talking to God in your prayer for me it this is one of those things in the Christian life that comes somewhat easily uh, just because of my my nature and my my upbringing I find expressing affection very easily I mean I'm so embarrassed to even tell you this, but I told Kimberly I loved her on our second date and it was really awkward. You know, I just, I was like, did I just say that out loud? You idiot. You know, you say, I, you idiot. You idiot. Did I just say that out loud? You idiot. And it kind of weirded her out. She's like, well, I'm just getting to know you. And, you know, I saw, and, uh, got a restraining order on me and, uh, you know, and it, it worked its way out eventually. But um, uh, but anyway, we're to express our affection um, um, to God. In other religions, God is seen as a distant tyrant. It is only in the Christian faith that he is seen as somebody who loves us, and we love him. First John 4, 19. I love it in the King James, the old King James translation. We love him because he first loved us. He says in Hosea 6, verse 6, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. Romans 6, 13, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. And then a third way that we worship is to worship is using my abilities for God. And every single one of us are a unique combination of thousands of different abilities, likes, preferences, dislikes, past experiences, background, things you've gone through. And God perfectly designed you, and there's only one you in the history of the universe to fulfill the assignment that God has given to you. So it's silly to compare yourself with anybody else because there's only one you with that combination to do the unique assignment that God has given to you. I'm going to ask Matt Tyler uh, to come up right now, and I want to do this as kind of a closing illustration. Um, Matt is uh, one of our keyboardists here at 945 and 1111. He's a student at Cal Poly Pomona, and he is also a decathlete, uh, you know, the 10 events of the decathlon. Would you welcome Matt and just let him know that you love and appreciate it. Okay. Now, it's, it's been said that a decathlete is the best athlete. I mean, really, better than football, basketball, or anything, because they're good over 10 different events. And some events are stronger than others. Your running and jumping events are stronger than your throwing events. Is that right? Okay. So um, I thought we'd do a comparison. We're going to have you vote on which is the better athlete, Matt or me. We're going to compare in each of these uh, 10 different events. So it's two days of competition, five events on the first day, five events on the second day. So the first day events, okay, uh, the 100 meters, Matt does it. 11.5 hundred meters I'm guessing in my prime, 13 seconds. It would be something like 20 seconds today. But at any rate, I'll guess on that, okay? Uh, Long jump. This is, by the way, this is really a good distance right here. 22 feet, 10 inches, almost 23 feet, my goodness. I'm guessing 17 feet, and that's when I was high high school or whatever. Uh, Shot put, uh, 31 feet, 9 inches. I'm guessing maybe 20 feet. I don't know. Have no idea. Okay. And uh, then high jump. This is really a good jump. Um, Six foot… Seven inches. Okay, I think I could still step. Was that three feet? Like okay, that. okay. I think maybe, just maybe, 400 meters. Um, Matt 50.89 seconds. I'm guessing in my prime I could have done 55 seconds. Second day competition. 110 high hurdles. Matt 15.38 seconds. Now the thing about the high hurdles, you can push them down, right? Yeah. And then st- as long as you step over as them. Long as you go over so them. I think if I went, bam, step over, bam, step over. <laughs> I think I could get through in 45 seconds. I really do think I could do that. Okay, discus throw, 101 feet, 8 inches. I have no idea. 50 feet I put down there. Pole vault. Matt did... (laughs) Matt did 13 feet. That is a really good pole vault. Too dangerous to try for me. Okay, javelin. Matt did 124 feet, four inches. Too dangerous for others in order uh, 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 for me to, me to try. Now, 1,500 meters, here it comes. Matt, four minutes, 36 seconds, me, three minutes, 52 seconds. Okay, there you go. I got one. Now, let's do a vote. How many think I'm the better athlete between the two? Okay. How many think Matt is the better athlete? Okay, there you go. Absolutely. Now, what we tend to do is we tend to compare ourselves, you know, in, in one area, 1,500 meters, about a mile. Um, we compare ourselves to that one area and say, oh, so-and-so is so much better at fill-in-the-blank than me, and we feel inferior. Matt, are you feeling in any way inferior to me uh, here today? I say, okay, no, thank you for saying that. Okay. No, he's not. He's not. Okay. So, at any rate, but you realize not just 10 events. God made us over thousands of different character traits within our life. And he molded us with exactly those to do exactly our assignment. That's why you don't need to compare yourself with anybody. Simply do what you enjoy and that you're good at and do it to the glory of God. Make him your coach. Make him your boss. Uh, Do tomorrow what you did on Friday, but now do it with a new boss, with a new leader, with a new coach as an act of worship to him. Let's thank Matt for doing this. Okay, thank you, Matt. And uh, I tell you what, Matt, you can just stay here because praise team, you guys can come back on up, okay? Let's just look at a couple of verses uh, as they come up. Uh, Colossians 3, uh, verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than working for people. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1, take your everyday, there's again a paraphrase now, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. And then let's read out loud 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, out loud together, so we make it our goal to please Him. Okay, I tell you what, Jared, I went a little longer than I should have, but you know what? We've been talking on worship, and so I want us to worship. So let's do a couple of songs, okay? Let's do a couple. Let's stand up. Let's worship a couple of songs, and let's uh, worship Him uh, together.